Welcome to Metaphysical Romp with Reverend Paul Hasselbeck and co-host Reverends Bill Holton and Cher Holton. Discover practical applications to bring 21st century metaphysics to work in your life. Here's your host, Paul Hasselbeck. Welcome to another edition of Metaphysical Romp 2. I am the Reverend Dr. Paul Hasselbeck, and I am having another beautiful day in my consciousness. Actually, every day is a beautiful day in my consciousness. And when it seems to not be, I change my mind. And so here we are. Hi, friends. Hi, I love that idea. That's great. And that's what it's all about. This is Reverend Dr. Cher Holton from Durham, North Carolina, and it is another beautiful day in my consciousness. And this is the Reverend Dr. Bill Holton, also at the Durham Inn, and it is very definitely another beautiful, beautiful day in my consciousness as well. And for those of you who know, and for those of you who don't know, Cher and I are the co-founders of an expansion unity ministry, and our name is the Unity Center for Universal prosperity.org and we spell universal y-o universal because it's about your human happiness and spiritual growth that's right it's all about you y-o-u and the easy way to find us is ucfyp.org ucfyp.org yeah an easy way to find me is remember my name paul hasselbeck my website is paulhasselbeck.com and that's where you'll find my weekly blog the absolute word as well as well as my calendar of events. And so we are metaphysical romp too, and we are all about spirituality, pseudo-spirituality, science and pseudoscience. And we're really all about practicality. And so we're on part three of exploring the 10 science delusions based on Rupert Sheldrake's book, the science delusion. And really what this is, is his questioning unquestioned answers that are found in science. And why is this useful? Well, so we don't end up entrapped in some idea that's no longer true. So let's take it away. And do you want to talk, just share with people who Rupert is? Yeah, for those of, of, of you who don't know, um, Rupert Sheldrake is, uh, Dr. Sheldrake, is a biochemist and parapsychologist who, uh, as Paul mentioned, very definitely questions unquestioned scientific answers. And he's very good at that. And, and he is the one uh, who is the author of, of the book that we're talking about, as you know, as Paul just mentioned, The Science Delusion, and has uh, looked at a lot of the delusions. He, he lists, he's listed 10 altogether, and we've, we've discussed two before. We'll start with the uh, third one today to give you an idea about where Sheldrake is coming from. The reason that we love to uh, explore things like what Rupert Sheldrake has come up with is because it helps us with our critical thinking, helps us remember that what we think is true may not always be true. Things may change. And so this is a way we remind all of you to be questioning the answers and beliefs that you have. Exactly. So this one, the third one shows up in my classes all the time. People say the total amount of matter and energy is the same. And that means the same all the time, but it's not. So, Cher, you want to read that? Yes, here's this kind of a quick summary of what 
what he means by this one. The notion that the total amount of matter and energy is always the same is closely related to the conservation laws in physics, particularly the law of conservation of mass and the law of conservation of energy. These laws state that matter and energy cannot be created or destroyed, only transformed. While these conservation laws are well-established and hold true in many contexts, it's important to recognize that they aren't absolute and they have certain limitations. Yeah. And so going on, actually, Bill, why don't you read this? Because this is something you wrote in summary. Uh, while the conservation laws of mass and energy are fundamental principles that hold true in many everyday scenarios and provide a robust framework for classical physics, they aren't absolute they aren't absolute dogmas because modern quantum physics, particularly quantum physics and the theory of relativity, has introduced complexities and exceptions to these laws, challenging the idea that the total amount of matter and energy in the universe is always the same. Now, our understanding of the nature of the, of the universe continues to evolve because the universe is continuing to evolve and cosmological and quantum phenomena introduce exceptions and nuances to the old classical conservation principles. Yes, that was really well put, Bill. Okay. And I think it makes it understandable. And really in our everyday life, does this matter? Not really, but in the context of metaphysics, it does. Yes. Could you share one quick example, Paul, of how that comes up in your class, what people are questioning when they bring it up? So what they question is, is really, in a way, the concept that there are absolutes. When we talk about the absolute realm that we talk about, I talk about principles and laws are of consciousness are absolute and unchanging. And then they'll say, oh, that's just like matter and energy. They don't change. And then and then the ball gets rolling. So, yeah. Perfect. And, Perfect. and the thing is, that what Bill was saying in that paragraph is has always been true of science in the sense that what science is proving today, someone might create a really good mathematical equation that explains how gravity works. However, a year, 10 years, 50 years from now, someone may be looking at that research and tweak it. So the equation changes a little bit. However, to me, the concept doesn't really change. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Part of it is how we use it. Absolutely. That's what might change too, as it changes form or our understanding of it changes, then how we use it changes. And how we use it changes. And hopefully we get better at using it. Yes, definitely. Yes, right. Okay. So the next one is. <laughs> This fits in perfectly. Laws of nature are fixed. Laws of nature are fixed. And I already alluded to that. It says the idea that the laws of nature are fixed is a commonly held belief, but it can be debunked or at least challenged. And so this is an important thing that this, this challenging is that questioning unquestioned answers. When someone tells me something is a law, in the sense of an unchangeable law, Paul Hasselbeck is looking for at least one exception to that. <laughs> if there is one yeah. exception, then it's more like a rule than a law. 
Well, it's just like Paul talked about the one exception. Uh, when you think about it, uh, a lot of people believe that all crows are black. Well, all you've got to do is find one crow that isn't black, <laughs> and it upsets the initial premise that all crows are black. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So Bill goes on in this one, while the concept of fixed laws of nature is a fundamental assumption in science and has been highly successful in explaining many phenomenon, it is not a dogma set in stone. So so they're true and absolute today. We might get more information tomorrow, and then we have to shift it. And the same is true of the metaphysical laws and principles. We don't take it as dogma. We don't take it as doctrine. And we're looking for where it doesn't work. And then simply that law becomes a rule. And a rule is something that can be broken. A, a absolute law cannot be broken. And here it's important to know or to think about how I'm going to use that on a practical level. Even if there is an exception, if I understand the general working of the principle, for example, then I can use it in my own life. And even knowing that I, I'm not guaranteed 100% this is going to work, but there's probably a 90% chance I'll see a positive reaction to what I'm doing. Yeah. Did that make sense? Yeah, it did. And so <laughs> engineers don't have to use quantum physics to build bridges because they can use the laws of classical physics. They're close enough that they can build a safe bridge. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's knowing what you need to know and how to understand what you do know and put it into practice. Yes. And Absolutely. if you have, if you're if you're the exception instead of the rule, then just recognize, OK, so that tells me this is not absolute. And that would be true of Sheldrake. He's yeah. he's yeah. the exception, not the rule. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. OK, so the next one is nature is purposeless. I've never really heard that one before. So no. this is going to be interesting for me. So yeah. you want to read that share, or Bill? Uh, I don't like that phrase. <laughs> nature is purposeless. <laughs> the notion that nature is purposeless is often associated with philosophical positions like existentialism or naturalism. While it's true that nature in the sense of the physical universe and its processes doesn't possess intrinsic or deliberate purposes as humans do, it doesn't mean that nature is entirely devoid of purpose and meaning. Okay, so I want to give a really uh, simple example of this. So many of you might be fans of Star Trek. And so Star Trek had the prime directive, which was used by the people that were flying in these spaceships that they were never to contact a primitive society so that they wouldn't contaminate it with the technology, oh. okay? However, or similarly, I say there's two prime directives that are intertwined in nature. When I say nature, I'm talking about living things, and that that is reproduce yourself, and survive. 
And you can see how they're related. If you don't survive, you don't reproduce yourself. And that's how species propagate themselves over time. Mm -hmm. That's a great example. And I'm reminded of that plant. There is a plant, there's probably more than one, but there's been study done on a plant that actually when it's attacked by a predator, it sends out a sound that attracts the predator of who's attacking it. Mm-hmm. So it has it, it. It's built into their their ecosystem, if you will, that they're calling for their protection, so they can reproduce. Which is the same thing you were just saying, even at a plant level. Oh, well, who said science isn't woo woo licious? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, something like that when you hear about it and then verify it. It's not being dogma, but it's something that's very true. Woo-woo becomes wow-wow. Wow-wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So while nature may lack conscious intentions and purpose in the way humans do, it is not entirely devoid of purpose. Purpose and meaning can emerge from the complexity of natural systems and from our interactions and perceptions of the natural world. The concept of purpose in nature is a subject of philosophical debate, and it is influenced by one's perspective and world view. So look, these animals, even human beings aren't thinking, I have to survive to reproduce myself. But the drive is there. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess we could take that to a meta spiritual level and just say, as I want to evolve, continue to evolve in my conscious awareness of consciousness, what do I need to be doing? Yes. And so I have, I, I seek that almost without realizing it, that same, what did you call it? That same drive, drive, whatever it was in Star Trek that they had. Oh, be- yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I, now I can't think of it. Okay. Oh, the prime directive. There we prime go. Prime directive. I love that. Yes, I love that term, prime directive. Yeah. So our prime directive, meta spiritually, is to continue to grow and evolve into our highest possible evolution. And not all humans perceive that. There are humans that don't don't care about yeah. that. Right. Right. And if there is a belief that is evidence barren, which unfortunately a lot of dogma tend to be, if you don't evolve from that belief, you're essentially devolving Mm. if you continue to believe in that dogma. Yeah. And there is a word I was using this week in my 12 powers class, which is unregenerate. So, Uh So that we end up unregenerating ourselves when we we believe in those dogmas. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. pretty cool. So, yes. so the three of us invite you to to send dogma to the dogma house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, I think we have time to do one more. The title of this one is "All Biological Inheritance Is Material," and I would say that's a pretty strong belief. So yeah. it says the assertion that all biological inheritance is material reflects a materialistic perspective often associated with reductionist views in biology. A reductionist view is a view that that keeps uh, reducing 
a, a thing until you get down to the most fundamental concept. Yeah. And then we could say, while material factors play a significant role in biological inheritance, it's essential to recognize that there are other elements and mechanisms at play. And, and so, it may be useful in this one to actually share a couple of examples like epigenetics, because a lot of people are familiar with epigenetics. And that's okay, a, if you think that's true, let's do it. So take it away. Just just to throw that out as an example of a field of biology that that just says that it involves changes in gene expression and heritability that are not based on alterations in DNA sequences. And I think the underlying thing around epigenetics, and correct me if I'm not correct, is that we we have these DNA sequences, but we're not controlled by them. We can have some influence over when they how they show up. Yeah, Is that yeah most most definitely. And and associated with that, the the problem, one of the problems with reductionism in science is that reductionists tend to focus on the parts and forget about the whole. The mm-hmm. whole. Yes, yes. And it's important to remember also that epigenetic changes can be influenced by environmental factors and are not solely dependent on the genetic material. So epigenetic would mean like external to genetics. Right, right. Yes. And of course, another example would just be the behaviors that we inherit. We learn behaviors that are passed on from generation to generation. Just just to throw out a couple of examples of what he's talking about in this particular item. So uh, we can summarize this by saying, while the material aspect of biological inheritance is essential, there are various non-material factors and mechanisms that play a crucial role in shaping an organism's traits, behaviors, evolutionary trajectory, vacations, just kidding. (laughs) The, the field of biology recognizes the influence of epigenetics, which we've mentioned, cultural inheritance, horizontal gene transfer. And if, if you don't know about that, look it up, horizontal gene transfer, learn behaviors, of course, information and ecological interactions in the broader context of biological inheritance. This challenges the dogma and dogmas that biological inheritance is exclusively a material enterprise. Yes, so, so, so important. And just a quickie, all of us in Unity have learned that Myrtle believes she had inherited sickness. And we do know now some sicknesses are inherited, but not the tuberculosis that she thought she had. And so I think it's time we... We pause and move on to the absolute word. The absolute word is based on Sunday messages appearing in Daily Word. A copyrighted Unity publication has been used with permission. And always this comes from Sunday. This comes from Sunday, October 8th. And the word is together. Our divinity unites us as we work, play, and pray together. Joining with others to work makes the job easier. Joining together for fun multiplies the enjoyment. The camaraderie, cooperation, and support of togetherness give me a boost and brighten my mood. Everyone everywhere is fully divine and fully human. When I work, 
play or pray with others, something greater than the sum of our individual efforts and insights results. The divine love that binds us multiplies as we recognize it in one another and give it fuller expression in ourselves. Work becomes more productive, play more enjoyable, and prayer more fulfilling. Together, we produce more good and feel more joy and happiness than any of us could accomplish on our own. Our divinity unites us as we work, play, and pray together. Of course, in our divinity, we are identical. In our humanity, we are wondrously distinct. And I celebrate that every day as I say thank you for listening. Until the next time, this is the Reverend Dr. Paul Hasselbeck signing off. And we are so grateful for all of you for joining us. This is Reverend Dr. Cher signing off. And this is the Reverend Doc Bill Holton signing off as well. And the three of us invite you to always remember that our collective divinity unites us. Unites us.